0: Amen and amen and amen. When Joseph received the news that his fiancee, his beloved Mary, was pregnant, I'm sure his heart fell right out and hit the floor you ever had bad news? You ever had something that's so horrible, it's almost unthinkable and you know that it's just like the life drains right out of you and all of a sudden you just feel like everything is just fallen down. I was thinking about Joseph and what it must have been like for him to hear that. All of his plans, all of his dreams that he had for the future. The woman that he loved and cared about, Mary, the one who he was betrothed to, the one who he would marry, the one who he would have a family with, the one who would help him with his business, his carpenter business, the one who he thought loved him, had apparently betrayed him. Now, she had told him the story. And he went to sleep one night, very troubled of heart. In fact, it says he was afraid. And um, in that moment, in that sleep, an angel visited him. And there was a particular statement that was made in that dream. In Matthew, it's recorded. Do not be afraid to take her as your wife the angel said. For the child that's in her is Christ the Lord. And he says, his name will be Jesus. He said, as was said, as the prophet said, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel. Now I'm fairly convinced that that's not the first time that Joseph had heard that phrase. We know he's a righteous man. We know that he was a godly man. And I think we have to assume, because of that, that he knew God's word. That he knew of that prophecy. And I'm also convinced that he knew of the context of that prophecy. It was a very bad time way back in Isaiah, time of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7. We're going to go there soon. It was a very, very bad time. In fact, um, reading there, you find out that um, as we move from the book of Judges and, and on through the history of Israel, nothing much has changed. There was a period of time in the time of the Davidic kingdom where uh, God's, God's king had turned people's hearts back to God. But By and large, the people of God were virtually no different or, in fact, worse than the time of the judges. They were still self-centered, still practicing idolatry, still horribly rebellious against God. In fact, by this time, the kingdom was divided. There was the northern tribe, the southern tribe, there was Israel, there was Judah, And it just so happens at the time of this prophecy, the original prophecy in Isaiah, that the king of Aram and the king of Israel had come up against Jerusalem and were going to attack it. King Ahaz was the king of Judah at the time. That's the context from which Joseph would pull his recollection of this prophecy It was a time of great fear and a time of great encouragement by God, at least prophetically. Would you turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7? Because it seems to me, as we embark upon this familiar story, that there are times in our lives that are no different than Joseph's. Each one of us probably has encountered several times a storm in our life, a a piece of news that is so horrible that we don't know how we're going to go on, a phone call that causes our heart just to drop on the floor. And it's at that moment, it's at that moment that we have to determine whether or not God is able to help us or we turn and try to depend on other things. Regularly, we try to find our way out of the problem and trust in the things that can't help us. We're going to encounter that in this story. God decided to preview for King Ahaz the most unbelievable of all miracles. In fact, he previewed in Isaiah chapter 7 for King Ahaz, who was, by the way, a wicked king, an ungodly king, he previewed Christmas Day as the sign of all signs at that time. So if your Bibles are open, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1, We'll read the text. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king Rezin of Aram, and Pekah, son of Remelia, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, As the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind, petrified, terrified, then the Lord said to Isaiah the prophet, go out, you and your son, Shir Jeshub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. Now, as any king would do when they're under siege, he would go and check his water supply. How long can we withstand this siege based on what we have in terms of resources? That's why he would find the king there. And here's what he was told to say to him, Isaiah the prophet. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. I love that. You know, as reading this, I was thinking, wow, how God right-sizes our problems really quickly. And, and I don't know what's arrayed against you. I'm not sure what you're facing in your life. I'm not sure how big a, a mountain is before you or how, how, much, uh, how powerful the siege is around you. But I want you to get a glimpse here of what, how God sees it from his perspective, as we answer the question this morning, do you see what God sees? Because when he looked at the kings and those armies that were surrounding his people in Jerusalem, he saw two smoldering stubs of firewood. So um, I I like that. I'm going to probably employ that in my life, that, that phrase, that illustration, that description. And and I, I invite you to as well. I think God's inviting you. Pull this into your life. When things are against you, when, when, when things are against the work of God in your life or God in your life, uh, look at them the way God looks at them. These And you fill in the blanks, two, three, four, five, whatever it is, smoldering stubs of firewood. <laughs> Because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Remelia, Aram Ephraim and Remelia's son have plotted your ruin, saying, "Let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves, and make the son of Tobiel king over it." Let this, yet this is what the Sovereign Lord says: It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only Resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Romalia's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. This is one of the great statements in the Word of God. This is one of those Ones, you write on the wall in your house and you put in front of you in the dashboard of your car. You write this thing everywhere. If you do not stand by faith, you will not stand at all. In fact, the original, it's, 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 it's worded the amen and the amen. I mean, it is, it is one of these great declarations. The prophet is standing before this fearful king it says to him, this is your moment. I'm giving you an amazing opportunity. I've already told you how I view the enemy against you. Now, Ahaz, if you do not stand by faith, you will not stand at all. This is a turning point moment in his life. And a turning point moment regularly in all of our lives. When things are arrayed against us. When we can't see our way clear. When everything is too strong for us. This is your moment. And so he goes on and says to him. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God? Note that. Isaiah says, my God. He doesn't say our God. He knows where Ahaz's heart is. Also, Therefore, he says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of two kings you dread will be laid waste. In other words, before this kid is about two years old, I'm going to take care of your enemies. And the Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. (coughs) Excuse me. Well, this is the context. This is the word of God from which Joseph drew his understanding (coughs) of what the angel had said to him. So you may be At this kind of turning point, your watershed moment in your own life. We all face multiple challenges. The strong message then, the Christmas message and now, is this. If you believe God is really with you, and he really can, you will fear nothing. If you believe that God is really with you, and he really can, you will fear nothing. Nothing. If not, you will fear pretty much everything. So is there something powerful bearing down on you? Something that is, has been there for a while, perhaps? Is your heart shaken like the trees of the forest, as it says here in this text? Has it been shaken for a while? It says here in the text be careful. You're invited to keep calm. You're invited not you're invited to don't be afraid to not lose heart. It says in the text they have plotted your ruin but this is what the sovereign lord says. That's the critical statement of all statements. That's the critical statement over all of our lives. This may be the way it looks. This may be what people are saying, but this is what the sovereign lord says about this. That's critical. That's the critical reality in our text. Oh, Father, this morning as we peer into your word, I just ask that you would infuse into our hearts courage from your word, courage from knowing who we are, who you are, courage, Lord, to rejoice and celebrate Emmanuel and all the richness that that means to our lives. I pray, Father, today that we would be a people who no longer fear but by faith, stand. Because if we don't stand by faith, we won't stand at all. And I pray, Father, you'll find in us hearts that are totally and completely devoted to you. I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So the question this morning is, Will you trust God for great things or be consumed by your fears? Will you trust God for great things or be consumed by your fears? There is a three different... Um, Um, angles. I want to uh, approach this from this morning. Three different thoughts that I hope will encourage you and strengthen you, uh, both uh, from this text, from uh, Joseph's realization of the truth, and our recognition of the fulfillment of this prophecy and all that it means. And the first is this, the first hopefully encouraging statement is this, uh, never forget who you are. Never forget who you are. Uh, Two times in this text, which is quite unusual. Uh, the address God addresses Ahaz as the house of David. Did you notice it? Well, we were reading there. It's uh, verse two, I think. Verse two, and also in verse thirteen, he addresses him as the house of David. Now that is uh, intentional, of course. Uh, King Ahaz is uh, somewhat down the line of descendants of David, and and the the Davidic kingdom. The time of the Davidic kingdom was a a heyday time in Israel. It was a time when uh, the apple of God's eye was on the throne. God was a man, or David was a man after God's own heart, was a, a, a righteous king, although he had, as we all know, he had his sinful issues as well. But nevertheless, he was a man of faith and a king of faith. And so Ahaz is to be reminded by God That you are of this great line of David. You are of the house of David. And at the time of Samuel the prophet, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, there is a prophecy there that states that the kingdom of David will will be an everlasting kingdom. And so here's Ahaz, shaken with fear, a king of Judah, the king of the line of David, the king, of, the king of the line of Messiah, shivering in his boots. And, and God comes to him and says, don't you know, don't you remember, don't you pay any attention to the word of God that your kingdom, the kingdom you represent, has been promised by God to be an everlasting kingdom. That God will fulfill his promises. So why are you fearful of these Puppet kings around, these smoldering stumps of firewood that are barking out fearful uh, language against you. You're the house of David. The promise of forever succession, of enduring kingdom. Regularly throughout the scripture, God reminds us, reminds his people that we are his treasured possession. Each of us must always remember, never ever forget who you are. In Christ Jesus. You are the treasured possession of Almighty God. So when things are against you, remember this. that Remember who you are and, and who God views you as. Now each of us, I'm sure, have a few treasured possessions in our life. We understand this kind of language. What it means. Uh, perha- probably, I mean it should be. Your spouse is one of your treasured, treasured possessions. Your children. And maybe you have a couple of material things in your life that mean something sentimental to you or they were handed down to you from someone who meant something to you. And so we all know what treasured possessions mean. So the things that we would die for, these things we would look after no matter what. When God calls us, the God of the universe calls us his treasured possessions. It means that, that, that we're incredibly special to him. In fact, let me, let me give you a couple of texts that, that you can jot down where it's re- referenced as we, who we are in his special treasured possession status, in, his, in Exodus 19:5, in Deuteronomy 26, verse 18, in Titus 2:14, in first Peter, 2:9. We are the the treasured possession of, of God. Which means no matter what, throughout all of eternity, he keeps us. Whether in life or in death, we are watched over as valuable possessions of the living God. Ahaz, don't you know who you represent? What the faithful remnant of God of the kingdom of David means to me? Who you are? So go ahead, he says to Ahaz. Be daring. Ask me for something really hard to do. I know your faith is wavering. So, so go ahead, Ahaz. And and uh, the scope of what you can ask me, it can be from the highest of heavens. To the lowest of hell. You go ahead. I dare you Ahaz. To ask me to give you a sign. That is what you think too hard for me. Go ahead. Ask me. Ahaz. Decides to get. More spiritual than God. And says to him. I will not test. The living God. Probably said it in kind of a, I will not test the living God. Thought he was pretty, pretty proud of himself. And Isaiah looks at him and says, is it not enough that you have tried the patience of the people and now you are trying the patience of Almighty God? He has invited you. He has dared you to ask Him for something so hard that when He delivers on it, you'll believe Him. It's at that moment that God says, I'll make the sign myself. And so God reveals From God's perspective, one of the all-time difficult miracles. I mean, this is the sign of all signs. How about this, Ahaz? How about a virgin getting pregnant, having a son, and having him called Emmanuel? Is that hard enough? If that were to happen, would you finally believe me? The second critical issue for us when difficulties are encompassing us is to never forget what faith is. Never forget who you are, but never forget what faith really is. Faith, of course, in the scriptures is believing that God is and what? That he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We are specialists at knowing who God is. I mean, we specialize on that. We're a Baptist church. We're out there inviting people. We know who God is. We know who Jesus is. But here's where we really struggle, if we're honest. Believing that he can. We know he is. We have no question in our mind that God is. What we really struggle with when everything is arrayed against us, when all the storm clouds are encompassing us, when it's real, when we're really in a fix, when our heart is shaking like the trees of a forest, it's then do we really believe he can, because that's what faith is. We're all good at the religion of knowing who God is, but we're not so good in faith, believing that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, believing that if I do what God says, I will get what God promised. That's where the rubber hits the road of our lives Trusting God to be able to do what he promises that God is, but also that God can. See, the problem with Ahaz, Ahaz, he had no problem believing that God is. He was in a conversation with him. Do we understand that God does not want his people to be afraid ever? Do we know that? Do we understand that? God says it throughout the scriptures. We struggle with that so much. We are fraidy cats. We're afraid of everything. We're afraid of stuff that's not even gonna happen. We, we get up each morning and think of, what could I be afraid of today? I know, let me think. I gotta think of something to be afraid of. That's, that's our modus operandi. We're, we're fearful people. Do, you, do we understand, do we comprehend? And I'm being honest with you, being truthful with you. God doesn't want us to be afraid. That's why he brought us into his, into his family. Treasured possessions should not have to be afraid. And and so God wants us to live by faith, believing that he can. If we do not stand by faith, we will not stand at all. If you get up in the morning and you're not intending to stand by faith that day, you're not going to stand at all. That's what this message to Ahaz was. He believed that God was, but he didn't believe that God could. So if you read in 2 Kings, in a companion text to this one about what happened with with King Ahaz, in 2 Kings um, 16, you'll find out that King Ahaz had contracted the wicked king Tiglath-Pileser II of Assyria to come and help him out of this jam. Why? Well, he believed that God is, but he didn't believe that God could. That's why God came to him and said, well, come on, ask, make up a sign, anything. Can Tiglath-Pileser cause a virgin to have a child and have that child named Emmanuel, God with us? And so, we read in the text that um, God says that uh, for, the first, for a little while, things will be fine for you. For a couple of years, things will be fine for you. But then I will allow Assyria, who you have contracted, to come and help you out. Because Ahaz, you have religion, but you don't have faith. You've contracted for your security Tiglath-Pilassar, so let him help you. You've forgotten who you are, Ahaz, house of David. You've forgotten what faith is. Faith is believing not only that I am, but that I am a rewarder of those who diligently seek me. And so God here reduces... The enemy to the ridiculous. It's kind of a sales term, but I'll explain it to you in a moment if you're not familiar. Do you see what um, God says in verse 7? Uh, it will not take place. It will not happen. In other words, they will not defeat you. For the head of Aram is Damascus, just a city. And the head of Damascus is only resin, just a man. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to even be a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramalia's son, Pekah. Now, Ahaz, this great fear that is causing your heart to shake is really being precipitated by two mere, measly men. And I'm Almighty God! God! There's nothing impossible for me. And so he reduces the fear to the ridiculous. What are you afraid of? Now, um, this reducing to the ridiculous is to help us not to be afraid. And in sales terminology, it's to help you not to be afraid to buy something. See, when you go out and a salesman, you go out and you, you Price the link a Lincoln Continental. You say, how much is that Lincoln? It's seventy-five thousand dollars. Oh, I could never afford seventy-five thousand dollars. Well, the good salesman will say, no, I, I, Yeah, that's that's um, I'm sure a lot of money, but could you afford one hundred and eighty dollars a week? Now, everybody just about can afford one hundred and eighty dollars a week. So you say, Well, yeah, I guess I could afford that. Here's the keys, my friend. Enjoy this Lincoln Continental. That's reducing to the ridiculous. So God invented this, term, this sales terminology in this event with King Ahaz. And so he invites him, as we've already discussed, to dream up a sign that's too hard for God, and God has to do it himself. And in that name, it says, Emmanuel, God with us. And so the, the third um aspect of this infusion of courage is the name God with us. So never forget who you are. Never forget what faith is. And thirdly, never forget who is with you. Who is with you. The tragedy of Ahaz is that he wasn't prepared to believe in God and to dare to live by faith. In fact, he couldn't get past the reality of simply trusting in God to really believe that God was with him. And so Ahaz saw the size of the problem and he decided that he would go looking for something physically, materially bigger than his problem. And so he decided that the king of Assyria was that answer. Now listen, this was a critical turning point for generations to come as faith decisions always are. You see... King Ahaz had been, as I said, ignoring God, and God came to him and gave him this opportunity. Ahaz, this is your moment. This is your watershed moment. You can turn things around by your moment of faith. This will determine for generations to come whether or not people will trust in God. And so it is with each of us. Moms and dads, when there is trouble in in your life, when... when everything is arrayed against you, when the storm clouds encompass you, it is a watershed moment that could set the course of faith or lack of faith for generations to come. And I don't believe for one second I'm overstating this. When these moments arrive, moms and dads, there are usually little eyes and little ears and little hearts who are watching, what is dad going to do about this giant problem? Where is mom going to turn in light of this huge, gigantic problem? And if you won't stand by faith, you won't stand at all. Each faith decision we make in favor of trusting in Christ and not looking to other physical things to help us is a moment where we build faith into the next generations of people. And Ahaz failed miserably. And there was a succession generations after who failed, the living God Now let me wrap this up with you. Never forget who is with you. Ahaz, for some reason, believed that God was inadequate for the test. It is fatal to view God as inadequate. Ahaz chose to believe that Assyria can, but God only exists. God is not an ornament in our lives. He's not something that we put on a Christmas tree once a year God gave him over. God gave Ahaz and all of them over to the king of Assyria. In verse 17, it says, The Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. It said, Ahaz, you have no idea what you've unleashed. In your refusal to trust in me, I will give you what you are trusting in. I will give you the full fury of the king of Assyria, who will in fact come and rescue you from the king of Aram and rescue you from the king of Israel, but then you will serve the king of Assyria. I will give you over to what you want to trust in. God always does that. If you stop listening to God you'll start making gods who will conveniently listen to you and soon you'll be listening to them. He contracted the king of Assyria at first but soon they were listening to Assyria. Secondly, under this third point, being religious and having faith is not the same thing. Do we understand that? Ahaz was acting religious, but he didn't have faith. You can have the appearance of religion, but not the substance. You see, there's lots of religion. There's more religion in the world than we need. But there's not a lot of substance. The substance of religion is truly believing that God is who he says he is, and God can do what he says he will do. That's faith. Th- that's, that's the difference. And those who don't have the real thing regularly come up with religiously sounding language to cover for the fact that they don't have the real thing. That's why Ahaz used this, I'm sorry, I can't, t- I can't test the, the, the living God. He's pulling a, a text out of context, which is typical of those who really don't know the Bible. And using it to excuse his faithlessness. The injunction in the word of God not to test God has nothing to do with this particular situation. The injunction not to test God is when you actually don't believe in him or don't believe he's good. In this particular circumstance, the living God comes before him and says, I'm going to give you a sign to strengthen your faith. Go ahead, test me. There's a huge danger in not noticing that your religion has been substituted for real faith. Because sandlot spirituality will never help you when you need solid rock faith in the face of a gale force against you. There's a third thing I notice here under this third point... ...is that prophetic fulfillment in the past is designed to confirm... ...that faith exercised in the present will be rewarded now and in the future. This sign that God gives him, this amazing sign... It, ...a sign by definition, a special event as a pledge of a prophetic word... ...that they could look forward to. When you're up against it, this is what God can do. For, for them, as, as this, this prophecy was made... This was an opportunity for Ahaz to say, as this prophecy is fulfilled, it strengthens my faith in God. I know that in trusting in God, I'll be rewarded. For us, most of the prophecies we're looking back at, most have been fulfilled, not all of them, but many or most have been fulfilled. We look back and it strengthens our faith. We look back and say, what God promised, he delivered. We look back at this promise 800 years before the birth of Christ and we realize That what God said he could do, which is the miracle of all miracles, the sign of all signs, a virgin would give birth to a son without a human father. And they would call him Emmanuel, God with us. When we look back at that, we realize in our circumstance, in the challenge of our situation, is there anything too hard for God? And we recognize... Our faith is strengthened. We recognize that God has fulfilled his promises in the past and he will fulfill his promises in the future. When God says to you that, that um, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God, you believe that. When, when, when God says, if God is for us, who can be against us? When the Lord says, I will never leave you or never forsake you, these promises he makes to us are as good as the fulfillment of the promises he made to God's people in the past. And so when he promises you eternal life, and that song, that great uh, hymn we sang uh, this morning, so dry your tears. And death comes your way, dry your tears. Because God has come to take you home. When God promises these things, He will deliver them. That's the strength of these encouraging statements, encouraging promises of the past. Listen, signs will never create what isn't there. They just confirm what is. Finally, faith is rewarded by the real presence of God to help us in the dark hours when our life is shaken. What an incredible reality is this promise. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin. Or literally, a young woman of marriageable age, unmarried, will become pregnant, give birth to a son, and will call him... Emmanuel which means God with us now the people of that era believed that God was with them this was not a new concept or a new idea in fact this is a sentence made into a name this is a Hebrew sentence God is with us God is with you It wasn't until the birth of the Savior and the writings of John who put this in perspective as he reported and recorded what Jesus had said in John chapter 14. Not only will I be with you, but I will be in you. Now it's one thing to have God with you, but it's entirely another thing To have God in you. And so in this comprehension this morning of our status in the face of really trying times, do we have any concept of what this real thing is? Of having God in us? The reality of going on a stroll every day With the Lord of glory tabernacling in your heart? Because that's the reality of our lives as God's people. I was thinking to myself this morning about how how to think about this idea. And I was thinking about having Big Dave Dean. You know Big Dave? He's in the choir, he's the biggest guy in the choir. That's Dave Dean. I was thinking about having 10 Dave Deans circling me every day. Like, I was just walking around with 10 Dave Deans. I I mean, I'd be chirping at everybody. Be like, hey, get out of my way. Make way for me. Stop that. I mean, God couldn't, you see, God in his grace couldn't entrust me with a Dave Dean body. (laughs) All right? <laughs> but I was thinking about having Dave, 10 Dave Deans around me. How life would be different. But then I thought about this. Wait a second. 10 Dave Deans. That's nothing. Compared to one eternal Lord of creation. Tabernacling in my heart. Do we comprehend... The reality of that in the face of fear. What are you afraid of? Don't be afraid. Be calm. Relax. The prophet Isaiah said. This will not happen. It's not going to happen. The sovereign Lord decides what will happen. In every single situation of your life. So stop being afraid. Emmanuel. God with us. God in us. Our Father, this morning, we just lift up our hearts to you and thank you because we live in a fallen, broken world and there are many troubles around us. And regularly our heart slips into a place of shaking like the trees of a forest. And you don't want that for your people. We are invited to live fearlessly because Emmanuel, God with us, God in us, oh God, I pray that we would really advertise in our lives and in our behavior and in our attitude who we have, who we are and what faith really is, for Jesus' sake. Amen. I wonder if Joseph woke up that morning after having the dream, putting the whole thing into context and remembered that there were kings arrayed against King Ahaz in Jerusalem, not dissimilar to his own life and all that he would face and all that he was envisioning facing his great fears of King Herod and what people would say and all of those things. And then I wonder if he remembered that statement, if you don't stand by faith, Joseph, you won't stand at all. So when you get up in the morning and look in the mirror, do you see a man and woman, a man or a woman, who's relying or Realizing that the strength and power of all external forces are against you? Or do you wake up in the morning and see a man or a woman standing before you in the mirror who knows Emmanuel? God with us, God in us. That's the greatness of the Christmas story. Emmanuel, he really, really not only is with us but can take care of us so be encouraged do not be afraid be calm relax the sovereign lord says what will happen and he alone our father and our god thank you so much for reminding us from your word of your great power and how you've got us covered And how you tabernacle in our hearts, oh God, thank you. So we, of all people, can rejoice and be joyful and know, Lord, that if you are for us, what in the world can be against us? We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.